everyone on Father's Day weekend 2020. Woo! How are you, Carl, being a dad and all this weekend? I am excited about Father's Day. And Mother's Day, like David Letterman said, is just the lead up to Father's Day. <laughs> we will talk to our guest, Tina Farmer, and then we'll talk about the new releases, Artemis Fowl, The King of Staten Island, Long Gone Summer, The Five Bloods, and then we'll talk to Tina about St. Louis Theater and National Theater. Then Dave Chappelle's Eight Minutes and 46 Seconds, Loving, Gone with the Wind, Song of the South, Hollywood, and the Oscars. Well, this is an exciting anniversary for you, too. What are you wearing today? I am wearing my Stanley Cup ring. All right, so a year ago, we are remembering happy memories. The city of St. Louis was on cloud nine. You were playing Gloria at the Enterprise Center. Everyone who said, play Gloria, they were talking directly to me because I was the one playing Gloria just for everyone in town. And we played Gloria a lot that night. That was a good night. That was a good night. That was the only night of the whole run where I wasn't anywhere. Um, actually, I was at Ronnie's Cinema seeing Late Night with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. And I just got home to watch the end of the game because since I had been at everything and game six was so kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, that yeah. And I was at the downtown one that was so massive. I just thought I'm going to jinx it if I go anywhere. So I came straight home, watched the end of it. And that was enough. That was enough. So well, but, in, in, introduce our guest today. We have Tina Farmer with us, and she Good is, afternoon. Hello, Tina. She is a woman of multifacets, and she has, uh, she's known as a theater critic on KDHX. Yes, KDHX. But she is also, well, Tina, explain yourself to Carl. Explain you know, I am, a, I am a fan of art, culture, and community in the St. Louis area. Um, voice around the arts, particularly the performing arts. I also study photojournalism and am an avid from St. Louis sports fan. Good. We like that. And you're an activist as well. So she is a perfect person to have on this week. Yes. All right, Lynn, you and I both saw, well, I don't know how many movies you saw, but I saw two movies that are new this week. Uh, I, my wife is an avid reader, and in, uh, what, 19 years ago, there was a book out called Artemis Fowl, and the only, the funny thing is, uh, it's by Owen Koifer, uh, Colfer, excuse me, Wayne Colfer, and the only book I've ever read of his was the sixth version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, made after Douglas Adams had long been dead, and that was the, I think, the only book I've ever read from him, but I did know about Artemis Fowl, and my wife had read the books, and so when I'm watching this with her, she said, 
world. They changed a lot of things from the books. That's, that's what I hear from people that are uh, upset. This movie has been in development by Disney since 2016, and then they decided to drop it on Disney Plus. Which well, it was going to both... it was going to be released. Right. To be fair, it was going to be released. So it's it's they're probably happy it wasn't because well, it's a series of eight different novels, but this one uh, focuses on the first one, just called Artemis Fowl. And they change one of the things they change is um, the there's only one parent, and they've changed it from the mom to the father, I guess, just so they could get uh, Colin Farrell to do it. Who, to be fair, is good. This movie is about a boy genius. He's 12, Artemis Fowl, and he has criminal escapades, and he uncovers a secret society of fairies and fantasy creatures. And this is, uh, he's trying to save his kidnapped father. Yeah, but one of the things that I, he, you don't see him as a criminal in this. You don't, no. he's, he hasn't done anything criminal in this movie. So it doesn't make any sense that, oh, he's this criminal mastermind. I didn't get that at all until he says so at the end. So I don't know what makes him a criminal. Well, I'm very disappointed in director Kenneth Branagh because I loved his alive adaptation to Cinderella. That was fantastic. And his murder on the Orient Express was good. And yes. if you remember, uh, Thor, the very first Thor movie was Kenneth Branagh. Right. And plus, he does excellent Shakespeare adaptations. And not when only, he won, yeah. Not, not only that, he, he can do, he has worked in this realm. My wife said, wow, those goblins look exactly like Harry Potter. Uh, I, we got Harry Potter stuff out of this. It looked Star Wars-y. It looked uh, very uh, marvelish also. So they did. they did not have a clear direction for this movie. I think they were trying to develop their own Harry Potter series. Which is, and this, this is eight is books. A, and this is like the mummy that killed the Universal monster franchise. This this is dead in the water. The kid is bland. The kid is bland. This kid is no Daniel Radcliffe or even who's the, who's the kid I like that's now the good doctor, Freddie. Freddie Highmore. Yeah, 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 yeah. This kid is bland as bland can be. And then the supporting characters are just bizarre. Judy Dench is Commander Root. Josh well, the, Gad got on my last nerve. In the, I actually, actually thought Josh Gad was fine. Uh, in the book, two, two things about the book quickly. Uh, Artem, uh, the Judy Dench character was a man, and uh, the book is about Captain Holly Short, who is kind of a lead character in this movie. But she's, pay, she's played by 16-year-old uh, Irish actress Laura McDonald, and she's good. I liked her. She, she was good. She's probably one of the best things in the film, and I did like uh, Colin Farrell as the dad. But, but he's been in those Fantastic Beasts movies. Well, also, um, the book is supposed to be about her and her story, but they make it about him, and so, 
some people are complaining because this is the thing to do in the book she has uh chocolate skin and so they're saying that they whitewashed her and the butler dom whose last name is butler is supposed to be a white guy and so they're saying well they switched races on everybody did why are they making the butler the black guy and because in the book he could pass for russian or japanese and then his niece in the book is his sister. It's just weird little changes that don't seem to be necessary. And it would seem that there's a lot of uh, Simpson-esque stuff, like stuff you need to freeze. And I'm sure that stuff that if you freeze frame it are probably nods to the book. Because there's a lot of, there are a lot of things in this book that seem like they're just passing over them. But if you were, if you had read the book, there are probably Easter eggs towards the book. Right, and it's just a mishmash. The CGI is not that good, and you're right about it. it. Just doesn't have a clear direction. It's part Harry Potter, part Marvel, part Fantastic Beasts, part Star Wars. Star Wars. It just is weird. That one creature was straight out of Harry Potter. The Dobby, like the Dobby. Yeah. I was like, they look exactly like Dobby. What is well, that about? Not only that, it's the, I, I saw a review today that was not kind, but one line out of it was, this, this movie is a trailer for a movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> and so, and it would be a great, it would be a great movie if they had done what they were supposed to have done. And I don't know why, and, and I hear that, uh, Mr. Colfer is okay with all the changes that they made. I, I, I don't know. If they expected this it to be... It sounds like they're trying to do too much. Yeah, it's too much. Which leads us to Jed Apatow being too much <laughs> uh, in The King of Staten Island, which Carl and I both saw. We saw it together. Socially distanced at my house. Yes. On his big... He has a bigger screen than I do. <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, this is 75% autobiographical of Pete Davidson, who's on SNL, his life. His this dad is the story was a fireman. Go ahead. Yeah. His dad was killed in 9-11. So this is a fictional version of his life, trying to get his life together. He's typical failure to launch like so many 24-year-olds are these days, and he lives at home in, with his mom. Who's played by Marissa Tomei. To miss, to miss Marissa Tomei, who I love. She is now in mom roles. Well, yeah, she's Spider-Man's Aunt May. Right, but this is now certified. Mom. So Judd Apatow directed this movie and it's co-written and co-produced by Pete Davidson of SNL, who is a quirky type of guy. You either like him on, on social media and on SNL. He's had high-profile romances. He's been engaged to Ariana Grande. And he has had well-publicized, I should say, meltdowns. He dated yeah. Kate Beckinsale. He's going and, to be in the new Suicide Squad movie. 
So he is very talented, and I like his, his persona on SNL, and he mocks himself, and he did grow up in Staten Island. The, he still lives in Staten Island with his mom. In, Those are all in his the, tattoos. The basement, and he plays a guy that wants to become a tattoo artist, and this is where the plot develops. His sister, who is played by Judd Apatow's daughter, Maud, who is an actress, is the good kid. She's going to college. She... They're all concerned about how he's arrested development, and he's hard to like in this movie because he's such a jerk. Yes. And you know that, you know why he can't move on past his dad's death, but, and you want to be sympathetic, sympathetic to him, but it's hard. Yes. And, and the, Pete the movie said, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like your wife said, the movie doesn't get going until the second half. Pete Davidson said this would have been his life if he would not have gotten into comedy. And so he, he pictured this is what his this is a what if, a, a Marvel what if series. If Pete Davidson had not gotten into comedy, this is what his life would have turned into. Uh, with his father passing away on September 11th and him probably becoming a firefighter. And Bill Burr, the comedian... Um, who last seen on The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, and also he uh, does the Netflix show F is for Family. Bill Burr, comedian, plays um, someone who comes in, <laughs> comes into. It's a funny meet cute with Bill Bill Burr and Marissa Tomei because ah, we'll save it if you see it. it it's a funny meet cute, especially. It is. It's not. I'm not. I don't want to give anything away because. This is actually one of the better parts of the film. Right. And he's, he's a divorced dad of two. Those kids are adorable and cute, Harold, and I forget the girl's name, but they're adorable kids. And Marissa Tomei hasn't dated in 17 years, and she starts a romance with this firefighter, and Pete is fit to be tight. He plays a guy named Scott. He has total loser friends. Yeah. His, uh, one of them is my girlfriend just is pretty fed up with him. Belle Polly. She's a British actress and she has done stuff over in England and you cannot tell that she's British. She has the Staten Island accent down perfectly. Yeah, they captured Staten Island very well. The least uh, the, the, um, the often criticized borough of New York. Let's put it right. Like well, she was in Diary of a Teenage Girl, where she won Gotham's Independent Film Award for Best Actress. So she, she's doing okay as, as a British person in America. And she's good in this movie. I think everybody's good. I just think Judd Apatow, like funny people, he crams too much into it. The story takes off when Pete learns about his dad from the firefighter Steve Buscemi who was a real life firefighter is in the movie and he bonds with the guys at the firehouse. And I think uh, it's a nod to first responders, but it's really where the movie takes off and has its heart. And then uh, it, there's that redemption factor. Right. I love Judd Apatow movies, but the only complaint I have about them is they're unnecessarily too long. And this movie once again, is unnecessarily too long. But then you and I were talking, what would you cut out of this movie? 
and I'm, I'm watching it and we're watching it at my house. And I, I said to myself, this movie is a Judd Apatow movie that's not too long. And then it went on for 45 more minutes. Yeah, it could have trimmed some of the friend stuff. They smoke a lot of weed. They sit around smoking a lot of weed. Playing and video we games. Trim some of that. And we could have trimmed some of the sister in college stuff. Yeah. Uh, Pamela, Pamela Adlon from FX's Better Things uh, plays the ex wife. And uh, Kevin Corrigan from uh, uh, Grounded for Life. A lot Life. of indie movies. Yeah. He, 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 he was in Goodfellas. He um, he plays an uncle who gives Pete a job, and I, I could have you could have cut some of that out. There was a lot of Pete's dead end busboy job out, but once again, what do you cut? Uh, right. The the whole thing about him wanting to be a tattoo artist. That scene with Machine Gun Kelly as the tattoo shop owner that could have been cut, but it's a really funny scene. So. That's the debate. And you know what? While you're editing a movie like this, uh, you, some of the stuff is really funny that, you, that they could have cut out. But then that was the thing about 40-Year-Old Virgin. If you watch the stuff that they cut out of 40-Year-Old Virgin, that was hilarious, but it served itself so much better as deleted scenes. Yeah, I do think a trimming would have been good, some of that. It, it just seems to go on for but it establishes... Pretty, it's a very color. It's a time and a place. It's very colorful, but um, Let, well, let's bring our guest Tina in. Tina, what do you think about Judd Apatow movies? Tina. Hey there. Sorry, I was just so engrossed in your guys' conversation, I forgot I was on mute. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think about Judd Apatow movies? Oh, you know, I enjoy Judd Apatow movies. I do rather think that um, a lot of times the characters are a little too shallow and too one note, which is why it's like the shows go on so long to me. Um, and I'm really excited to to see The King of Staten Island because I am a fan of Pete Davidson and I've been reading about the process he went through to write this script and kind of, you know, there, there's a lot of sympathy to the story. So I'm wondering if I'm going to have the same take as you guys. Well, I, that'll, I, be, that'll be interesting. It is on video on demand right now. And once again, it's another victim to the coronavirus, just like Artemis Fowl would be. Artemis Fowl would be the number one movie of the weekend if theaters were open. And but it wouldn't be so long. Uh, true, but then, but then you don't know what else would have been released because you know, when would when would Wonder Woman have come out? So that could have still been the number one movie. But I I, I don't even remember when it was supposed to come out because time means nothing anymore. You're right. Okay, so Sunday night, Father's Day. Yep. ESPN is continuing its thirty versus a thirty for thirty series. Yep. And this one is fantastic. Long gone summer. It is near and dear to the people in St. Louis because it is on the summer that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa chased Roger Maris's single season home run record of six nineteen ninety-eight. And this movie by Edwardsville veteran documentarian. AJ Schnock sends you right back to that period 
it's he just nails it. He, he also directed the Nirvana uh, document, the Kurt Cobain documentary. Yes, yes. He, in fact, after graduating from the Mizzou School of Journalism, he went out to L.A. and he did TV and, you know, news projects. And then he established himself as a music video director. Ah, well, you and interviewed is, him, didn't you? Yes, I did. And it's going to be in the News Democrat this weekend. And uh, it'll be on my website, too. And well, uh, he, there's a lot and, of St. Uh, Louis in this movie. But besides the fact that there's a lot of yes. St. Louis and Chicago, which is great because right. St. Louisan and Chicagoan, Jeff Tweedy does the music for this. Yes. But, well, he's from Belleville. Belleville yeah. founder. Yes, and but so, he considers himself uh, from Chicago now. Yeah, but he grew up in Belleville. And I read his autobiography, and the chapters on Belleville are hilarious, and I laughed out loud. He is a very good writer. So if you see his autobiography, which the name escapes me right now, but it's it's a really good read. It's really, because he is very clever. Well, his son, Spencer, did the drums. So AJ uh, established himself as a veteran, uh, as a documentary filmmaker in L.A., but he did all these music videos he did those iconic ones for okay go oh oh really i yes, did not i wish i would have known that earlier today i could have talked about that on the radio he did seven he did those seven and he was uh, grammy nominated for all it's something all is lost i forget but that one where they're on the the, the exercise equipment. Yeah. yeah i love that one Anyway, he and his wife, his wife is Shirley Moyers, and she and AJ established a company together. And so they did that. And then he did uh, a documentary on They Might Be Giants. Yes, they he he did. He did the Kurt Cobain in 2006, and that put him on the map. That got him into festivals. And at the 2013 St. Louis International Film Festival, I presented him with the Charles Guggenheim St. Louis Award at, and... Uh, for, for his career. And he did two documentaries that year. One is called Caucus, and I recommend this to everybody. It is about the Republican slate of candidates in 2012. There's like 10 of them. And AJ went to the, the Iowa caucus and covered it. And this movie is about 70 minutes long, and it's, it's fabulous showing how politics are these days. And then he did a movie about Branson called We Always Lie to Strangers. And he, and, and you would think it's going to be snarky about Branson, but it isn't. It's really good. He talks, to, he talks to the people that make their living doing three shows a day. And the Lennon family is in it from California. They're, you know, liberal, California liberals living in Branson. And so it's a really good documentary. So he has some, he's, he's done a lot with politics the last couple of years. So he was talking to ESPN and they established, this was at the top of his list. And I'm so happy they allowed him to do it because he grew up a Cardinals fan. And That's he had relatives good. in Chicago. So he knows of the whole Cubs Cardinal rivalry, but he got access to McGuire and Sosa and they trusted him and they opened up. I thought it was really good interviews. And then he has over 40 people given their perspective and firsthand account. And it includes Bob Costas, George Will, Mike Bush is very good in it. Uh, Bernie Nicholas. Yes, Bernie Nicholas is in it. Uh, a lot of the Cubs, Kerry Wood, 
really? is is interviewed. Yeah, because he was Rookie of the Year that year. And um, a lot of ES, you know, just just nationally known guys. But then Tony Larusa is extensive in it, and uh, Ray Langford's in it. Brian Jordan, a couple other Cardinals. Uh, Walt Jockety. Ah, uh, Walt Jockety. Yeah, I know. I, I went up to him. I, I saw him at intermission of moving on at the Fox. Mm-hmm. And this was, I don't know when it was. It was when he was still here. And I walked up to him and I put my hand out when you could shake people's hands. And I said, you, sir, are a genius. And he smiled. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it, it's really fascinating. And he just takes you back. He also did contemporary shots. He went to Edwardsville and he, uh, got um he got um footage of kids playing on little league field which now if you walk if you drive around and you're passing parks nobody's outside playing baseball you got them at the right time so it it uh it shows what it was like in 98 and it also makes you wistful about baseball and they do touch on the steroids the performance enhancing drugs because they were cheaters, and there's a lot of people that are going to quibble with this, and they're gonna, and fans are going to argue about this forever. But I think AJ did a good job of just taking us back to what that summer was like and remembering how we all felt. Well, he was uh, th- that it it is a it's a tainted record. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tina, what it do you is think? a tainted record, but. It also really brought people back to being interested in baseball again. Before we knew what was causing the surge, it gave us a reason to reinvest in baseball after about three to five pretty rough years. Yeah, because of the strike in 94, and they start with that. They talk about that. It saved, it, it brought the fans back to baseball. It was a national event. I remember I took the kids to Cleveland in August to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we went to an Indians game, and Charlie had on a McGuire t-shirt, and people came up to him and talked to him about McGuire, and and then afterwards, I was trying to get Charlie's picture, and this guy that worked for the Indians came up and said, hey, I'll take your picture, and we talked about baseball and it was you know it was really interesting it captivated a whole nation it did and everybody you guys remember where you were september 8th 1998 don't you yeah i was actually at the game i was there (laughs) you remember don't you tina where you were yeah, I was watching the game. <laughs> Not that it's as exciting as being there, but I was watching. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it. Oh, um, one of the things that AJ starts the movie with is Todd McFarlane talking about paying $3 million for McGuire's 70th run ball. Yep. That was, he wanted people to remember how insane it got and how crazy everything was. And he was right. Yeah. And so that's really good. And then um, Tim Berneris, the Collinsville groundskeeper, he's yeah. still working for the Cardinals. He's a lawyer. Yep, he's, he's a little, he's still got a baby face. He's still 
groundskeeper. Yeah. At the game. That's great. So, so he was the first person AJ um, talked to, and it shows his Letterman clip. Remember how he had just 15 minutes of fame? Right. Because he gave the ball back? Yes, he did. So, and well, Jeff, he, was an, he was an employee of the Cardinals. He had to give the ball back. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But I think he did okay. And then yes. uh, the Chip Carey talks. I forgot that that was the summer Harry Carey died. Mm -hmm. So Chip Carey talks about that. And then the owner of the Harry, the, the Harry Carey's bar talks about how they thought the Cubs were going to be horrible that year. So they were going to give out 45 cent beers and about how they lost, they lost all this money because of they charged 45 cent beers. Right. Yeah, because everybody wanted to go to the game and see what they were doing. And then yeah. there, was a, there was a game where Mark, McGu Mark McGuire got tossed out like in the first or second inning. And everyone went nuts because they had paid all that money because they thought he was going to break a record that day. And, oh, people were not happy. But he got tossed because he was arguing balls and strikes, which, you know, that's something you don't do in baseball. I remember uh, the Labor Day weekend right before, because it was the day after Labor Day, he got the record. And Labor Day was when he tied 61. But we were at the Rams game that Sunday. And that was when the Rams really were bad and Tony Banks was quarterback. And so we're sitting there, we had never, like my kids, my mom, my sister and her kids, we had never all been to a Rams game. And so we're really high up. And they kept showing the screen of, of McGuire's at bats because right. Rams were sucking so good. And then we got out of this, we got out of the Rams, the dome and all the screaming was happening, and so we thought McGuire had had um, broken the record, but he had only tied it. Right. But downtown was electric, and that was that was when swing dancing. Remember when swing dancing had its moments? Yeah. As the first movie. So it was Labor Day weekend, and that's when they had that blues festival on Lickley's Landing. Yeah. So we went down to Lickley's Landing, and there was all the swing dancing going. <laughs> that lasted a nanosecond, didn't it? Well, also, you were uh, one year away from the Rams being any good because then, then they won the Super Bowl next year. <laughs> <clears throat> I know. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, I'll, 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 it I'll, was an exciting time to be a St. Louis sports fan. Yes. It was. I just remember how electric downtown felt and how fun it was, you know, because it was just such a big deal. And didn't you guys hear about, like, Springsteen was at a game because he was following McGuire? He so was. So he and his one son. He brought, his, brought his son, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it just was huge. So it brings it all back. And uh, the movie ends with McGuire being inducted into the 2017 Cardinals Hall of Fame. Because he's not going to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. No, it talks, it talks about the Hall of Fame, and Sammy acts like he doesn't care. But his relationship with the Cubs is very glacial. And yes, it, yes, it is. It did not he end is well. hoping, Yeah, he is hoping. Well, didn't he, like, leave in the middle of a game? in 2004 anyway he um he hopes that this woman fences with the cubs and he'll be invited back to wrigley field i think that would be good for the cubs 
by the way, the Jeff Tweedy biography is called Let's Go So We Can Get Back. Oh, yeah. But it, right. it is really good. I, so, I highly recommend it. And it's a fun read. Of the, uh, of the three movies that we've spoken about, uh, Long Gone Summer is probably going to be your best bet. Yes, and that is 8 o'clock, Sunday night, ESPN, and then it'll be repeated that night, and then it goes straight to ESPN Plus after that. And uh, I'm sure at some point it'll be streaming, don't you think? Uh, well, ESPN Plus is streaming. I know, but you know what I mean, like, oh, yeah, I guess they wouldn't give it to Netflix. Would no, they? They, would, they would not. No, no. The reason they, well, want the, they want people to watch it on ESPN Plus. Did you see the new Spike Lee joint? Yes, I well, I will qualify this. I only saw part of it. Okay. What did you think of the Five Bloods? It's From what epic. you saw of it. It's epic. epic. Yeah, it's so good. It has, it's uh, four guys, Vietnam vets. They go back to Vietnam because they're going to uh, get the remains of, of, of remains of their leader, who is Chadwick Boseman. He plays Storm and Norman. And they had somehow uncovered a treasure and they buried this gold and they're going to go back to get his remains and then also try to get the gold. So they're old guys and it's Norm Lewis who, Tina, you would know him because he plays Javert at, um, in the Les Mis at the Muni in 2013. And he is a well-known Broadway actor. He was Corgi and Corgi and Bess. He is, Sure, sure, I know who he is. Clark yeah, Peters? So he's, he's in this. And Clark, he is in, Clark, Clark Peters, right? Well, Norm Lewis is who I was talking to, but Clark Peters is in it. Isaiah Whitlock and Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo is great. Yes, they're the four guys that go back. And then Jonathan Majors, who you will remember as the last man, the last black man in San Francisco. Okay. Did you see that? It's really good. Really good movie from last year, and he's going to be the lead in that Lovecraft country on, yeah, HBO. on HBO. And he is in this. Jean Reno from The Professional is in this. Uh, Melanie Perry is the French actress. So they go back to Vietnam, and Spike starts the movie off as Spike would with the mood of the 60s. Muhammad Ali talking about how he wasn't going to fight in Vietnam. And it talks about, and it has clips of Malcolm X and Angela Davis. And it goes on just about the Soul Brothers fighting in Vietnam. Okay. And then, and then they go back and then we go from there. It's a two hour and 35 minute movie, which is why I don't have a <laughs> That's why you didn't get to finish it? Netflix, okay, so Netflix used to give us access to their movies before they dropped. And yeah. now they're not doing that, so I don't know what that is about. So I had to watch it this morning when it wasn't finished. After watching, after watching Artemis Fowl. Yeah. And you had an Artemis Fowl mood. Yeah, but Spike is, um, I mean, I am a fan of Spike. Yeah. And I think he and does. And Black Klansman was great. Oh, my favorite movie that year. And, uh, so good. Yeah, so this one, the acting is really good. So I haven't gotten enough to know about if the stories, well, the, there's four 
There's four screenwriters, including Spike, but also Kevin Wilmot, who worked on Black Klansman. Right. So they call um, Trump, um, you know, cadet names, names first. <laughs> well, it's also uh, Paul DeMeo who wrote The uh, Rocketeer. So, but it sets you right back in Vietnam, that era. They have flashbacks with Chadwick Boseman. And, and they're all like, he was, he, he, they're all like, he was the greatest soldier we ever knew and, and all that. Paul DeMio and Daniel Bilson wrote The Rocketeer. They are a, they're a screenwriting team. So that was, they wrote the original script and then uh, Spike and Kevin rewrote it after Black Klansman. Oh, okay. So they, so according to the Writers Guild, all four of them get credit for that. Okay, so it's called Defy Bloods, and like like Spike does sometimes, it's no capitals, right? You know, Defy Bloods, because you know that's what he does. But I highly Spike recommend Lee. it. I think everybody should watch it this weekend, and especially now when we're trying to enlighten ourselves about the black experience in America. Well, it was supposed to be at it's supposed to be at the Cannes Film Festival, and since that got canceled, um, another another uh, casualty of COVID. Yes, and uh, one of the things that uh, I think is is public, like the music. You know, Spike picks terrific music. Soundtracks and, are great, and uh, it just it it sheds some light on how. The Soul Brothers, as Hanoi Hanna says, were fighting in Vietnam. How many right. black guys went to Vietnam over the white, privileged Donald Trumps of the time? The rich daddies that got their kids out of fight. CCR's fortunate son. That ain't me. Right. I ain't no senator's son. Right. Which we all know about, but perhaps other people, especially the younger generation, they might not know this. So I think it's a, definitely a good one to watch. Now, let's talk to our guest, Tina Farmer. Tina, what, what movies have you seen while no one's going to movies? So I've actually been watching a lot of live theater and recorded live theater online, more so than movies. Um, so... Probably movies aren't the thing, although no. the Spike Lee film is one that is on my radar. And then I'm going to try and watch this weekend. I'm also going to try and watch The King of Staten Island. But I've been spending a lot of time watching uh, live Zoom theater, watching the form actually improve as people learn how to use it more efficiently, um, looking at just minor sub subtle changes, even from people thinking about what's behind them, what, you know, what, uh, what room are they sitting in and how does that contribute to the feeling of storytelling? I've also been doing a lot of um, activism work and trying to figure out how we can keep pushing performing arts, performative arts, um, to be more truly and fully inclusive, not to just hire a black director to direct a script that was written by a black writer, but let me give this black director Chekhov. 
Okay. You know, to really so so that's some of the stuff I've been working on and been watching a lot of live theater online. Well, speaking of that, the Muni announced today that they are going to have a free online summer 2020 season for the next uh, five weeks. They're going to do Muni, Muni Magic in your home, and it's going to be a, an offshoot of Muni Magic at the Sheldon. So it's going to start this Monday with uh, uh, Muni favorite uh, Beth Level. Uh, Beth, is it Level or Lavelle? Level. Level? The first mm-hmm. Muni Magic in her home, she's going to be doing uh, Beth Level live. And so she's going to be doing that. And then they're going to do a night with the Buddy Holly boys, uh, our leading ladies, then our leading men, and then Michaela Bennett and Alex Pracken. Yes, who's from St. Louis, who was the boy in 1776, your favorite show. Oh, my gosh. That's Carl. He was the the courier who sang Mama Look Sharp. And he he was Marius in Les Mis. Yes, he's a graduate of Burroughs. I interviewed him several times because he was in the touring, uh, the first national tour of Newsies, and he was the understudy to Jack, but he really should have been Jack Kelly, I think, because he's that good. Uh, He also, um, I've seen all those mini magics, except for the Buddy Holly one, and I will highly recommend them all because the acoustics at the Sheldon are fabulous. And Beth Level has really funny stories. She won a Tony for being the drowsy chaperone in the drowsy chaperone. Oh, wow. But she's been nominated. She was nominated last year for the prom. That's right, which I saw live in person in New York, and she was fabulous as this diva who is clueless and uh, just really fun when she gets to the town. But uh, she has been the lead, the Hello Dolly at the Muni. She was Gypsy. She was uh, Aunt Eller in Oklahoma with Ben Davis. She's been in the Muni quite a bit. She was in Nonsense, wasn't okay. really good production, but she was in it. And uh, she has won and been nominated for multiple St. Louis Theater Circle Awards. Right, Tina? Yes, she has. And so she, it's funny, I met her afterwards and I said to her, I said, I saw you in Elf on Broadway. And she goes, which one? Because there, there was the first season, and then they brought it back at Christmas time of 2012. So I had seen the 2012 because name dropping here, Chad Beglin, the lyricist from Centralia, Illinois, Tony nominated three times, including the prom and Aladdin. He had arranged for me to see his Elf adaptation, and uh, so Charlie and I went. That was Charlie's first Broadway show. And Wayne Knight was Santa, and wow. Beth Level was the mom in Elf. And so uh, that's why she asked me. She goes, which one? <laughs> so, Tina, besides the Muni stuff, is there anything that you would recommend that we would seek out in St. Louis Theater or National Theater? Absolutely. Um, I think the Muni stuff is great. I also think that it's great that after they, that, you know, one, they're starting on the 15th, which would have been opening night for the Muni. So that's, that's really nice in terms of timing. I also like that they're going to be doing some more original content in July after their five weeks. So that's fabulous. I have been watching and really, really enjoying St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. 
Lynn was a part of that. What, yeah, well, I've been really enjoying their Shake 20 productions, uh, where they're partnering with other local companies. Um, tonight is, uh, I think, Much Ado. Um, no, tonight, tonight, um, Tina, tonight is Sate with As You Like It, which is a wonderful oh, show. We it is saw. one of the, it is Sate As You Like It. If you love Americana music, if you love the idea of Shakespeare being mutable in ways that are still relevant, this As You Like It, set in the Depression era Ozarks, is gorgeous. It's musical. The adaptations of Shakespeare's script into songs are some of the most delightfully revelatory uh, interpretations you're going to see. It uh, wants so I encourage everybody to watch yet. that tonight. I well, encourage you to watch really from now through the Hamlet mock trial on the 21st of June. You can tune in uh, 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. The St. Louis Shakespeare Festival website has the exact schedule. Every single show has been really well done, really thoughtful. Um, even I loved Alexis, DJ Alexis Tucci's take on Midsummer Night's Dream. It's been a lot of fun, and I like to see how they're pushing this technology, again, to make it more welcoming to audiences. I also think that solo performer Siobhan O'Loughlin, who has ties to St. Louis, uh, she's also a documentarian. She's just finished or is in the editing process for her first documentary on her one-woman show called Broken Bone Bathtub, which is all about compassion and humanity. She is doing a series called Please Don't Touch the Artist. It's an interactive theatrical experience that is a ton of fun um i very much enjoyed uh equally represented arts era's moscow a drinking game which is an interpretation of Chekhov's three sisters and you should take small sips of your adult beverage if you're playing along with an adult beverage because you have 43 different opportunities to drink and that could be a lot of beverage but it's a ton of fun it's also a really faithful adaptation of the characters and the essential story. So um, those are all things that people should be looking up. If you're an Instagram viewer or a Snapchat viewer, TikTok viewer, um, check out, uh, what is it called? Shake in, the, Shake in the Streets, which are short monologues that were filmed by uh, different actors doing different Shakespeare monologues and their takes on Shakespeare monologues. There's a great, great uh, COVID-19 influenced monologue. Just a lot of really, really fun theater happening locally from St. Louis-based artists. That's, that is great. And it's great to hear that even though we can't go out together, we can still experience all this together in our homes. Now, St. Louis County is going to start um, right now they're in phase one or two where it's only 25 percent um, at the end of the month they're moving to 50 percent capacity on some theaters so i don't know how soon it will be before people start going out and possibly being able to i know the muni are they're not going to do their 
season at all. And I know that some of the smaller theaters aren't going to do their stuff, but we might have some things in August where you can have a 50% crowd. And if people will go, it might be good, but we don't know if people will be able to go. And we don't know how comfortable people will be. I can tell you the rep is looking at late 2020 to potentially get back onto the stage and open the houses to audience members. Um, the St. Louis Fringe Festival is currently working on a hybrid where some audience members will be able to attend performances live, but they will also be streaming live and they will be having some, you know, uh, online only productions as well. Um, but unfortunately, I think more companies are airing smartly. I yeah. say unfortunately for those of us who are fans of theater and want to get back out there and, and experiencing live in-person shows. Um, that's what's unfortunate. But the smart, fortunate side is that everybody's airing on the side of caution. And um, I actually think that Kwafi uh, Coleman, the managing director for the Muni, really, really said it succinctly and nicely in his um, announcement of the Muni uh, changes for their 102nd season. And that, you know, part of, part of what makes beautiful theater so beautiful is that we become a community right there in the moment in that experience and we want to keep everybody safe we want theater to be a safe place to explore ideas artistically and if you're worried about the person sitting two seats over with you or if you're not quite comfortable yet being in groups of of, of people it makes it hard for the theater to be a safe space and we well, exactly. really need to make sure it can be. Well, how many times have you been at the Fox Theater when it's a really quiet moment and half of the people in the audience start coughing? And now, and then usually it's like one or two and then it spreads. And now people are going to think of that totally differently because if someone in the audience starts coughing, you're just going to think we're all going to die. Yeah, it's it's a slippery slope. The restrictions are easing. Have you talked about the um, yes the AMC? No, we did not talk about the AMC. I think that's just going to be really problematic because there's only going to be able to be twenty five percent in the house. Well, that's but St. Louis, as as we said a second ago, St. Louis County is going to loosen that restriction to fifty percent at the end of the month. So okay. But still a half a house. Well, some of these movies only get a half a house anyway. Yeah, you're right. I do want to see Tenant on the big screen. I'm not going to lie about that. I don't think it's going to be good on the small screen, even if I get access to it. I think it's just a big screen movie. One of the, one of the rare ones that you have to see on a big screen. Everything else I can see on small screen, but that one. Right. I understand what you're saying, but you're not going to. I know. I'm a high risk, so I got to watch where I go. Um, did anyone, you have not been able to see the Dave Chappelle special, which is not, no. it's not on Netflix. It's on YouTube so they could get a bigger audience. It's about, it's about 28 minutes long. It's called 846 and it's a live special. 
I didn't get to see the whole thing because on the radio today we were only playing clips of it and I had to edit the heck out of it because this is one you should not watch with your children because Dave says a but lot you of should dirty. watch it you should watch it but don't watch it with your kids because it is filthy there was only it's Dave Chappelle um, right I mean so that's up to parental guidance yeah, yeah, it's, I yeah, totally it's parental guidance. Saying. It's parental but adults guidance. should be watching this. Yes, and it's it's uncomfortable at times. But Dave Chappelle has always done uncomfortable comedy, and he's the he is a smart enough and talented enough person to talk about this while not making light of it, but still able to tell jokes and see the the funny, not necessarily funny part of what's going on in society, but make it humorous because there are. The late night shows are not doing it. That Conan O'Brien hasn't done a comedy sketch in two weeks. Um, Colbert has not done anything. They've. This well, is the third their, their humor. Their humor is how badly the Trump administration keeps pouring gasoline. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. You can't just. This is a third rail topic that only somebody like Dave Chappelle could handle with kid gloves and be able to get away with something that he can Oh, say. I get it. I get it. I will say Jimmy Kimmel's been doing some really good stuff, and I don't nor normally watch him, but he has been really, I would encourage everybody, but Seth Meyers has been good, and Amber, Amber Ruffin, but see, one of his writers. See, Seth Meyers has been doing that with Amber Ruffin. That's how he can get away with that. Tina, right. did you watch the did you watch the YouTube special this morning? Dave Chappelle? Yes. Yes. And 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 it was very good and I think everybody should watch it. Um, is it funny? As a person who 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 you know has grown up experiencing a lot more privilege, um, I I think it's important to watch and to listen. And it's funny. Yes, okay. it's funny. I will also say that I think that because um, I like to watch late night and I watch a lot of it on YouTube or whatever. Um, I have always liked Seth's bits with Amber um, because I always thought he was appropriately trying to redirect the spotlight to the right person. And also because I think he's really promoted her. Um, I do very much like that Colbert and, and Jimmy Fallon have been doing a great job of using their microphone to give to other people to speak. But you're right. It's not particularly funny. Exactly. Well, it's, it's a slippery slope right now. And uh, we all have to just say, hey, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to listen. I want to do better. I will recommend, we have been, um, Tina, in the last couple episodes, we have been recommending movies that people might have not watched in the past. And today is the Supreme Court anniversary of the Loving case. Yes. And it's known as Loving Day. And Tina actually went with me to the screening of Loving. And it was one of I my top them. 10 movies of 2016. So I encourage everyone to seek that out. I actually like the it's, documentary a little better than the film. So I went and saw the documentary out after seeing the film. Um, 
you know, trying to learn more and educate myself. And they are both very, very, they do affect you in different ways. <clears throat> I think if you're trying to share the story in a way that creates a resonant emotional connection, I think the movie does such a good job of, of doing that, of establishing the storytelling in a really effective way for garnering empathy and understanding. Um, but I would suggest everyone watching the movie and then yes, watching the documentary. Well, Joe, I like Joel Edgerton. I've liked him for a long time. And uh, yeah. Ruth Nago was uh, nominated for an Oscar for that. Very oh, good. She was revelatory in that role. I was, uh, it taught me things I had never known uh, about that. Uh, one of my friends who's married to an Asian, uh, to a Vietnamese guy, she said today she was very grateful for this uh, law because it struck down interracial marriages in 16 states, the ban. And so it's not just black and white, but also Asian and uh, other Indian. nationalities and so uh, i make i make that a point too the bruce lee doc which is now on espn plus be water is about the discrimination that he, that faced him as an asian american because he was born in san francisco he left to go back to hong kong when he did not get the kung fu role right that david carradine got think about that about that so in Hollywood there are all sorts of injustices and of course the black experience is a huge thing but also this is shedding light on Asians too well the HBO Max has announced today that they're going to put back uh, Gone with the Wind on HBO Max with an introduction by an African-American scholar to talk about the context of the film and the funny thing was when HBO Max pulled it, it became the number one search on Amazon. So I've always had a problem with Gone with the Wind. I remember seeing Gone with the Wind as a teenager and knowing it wasn't right back then. And it, it was just, I'm like, ooh. And I know it's a classic and I know the book is that it, it's, not just, it's not just the treatment of African-Americans in that movie, it's the treatment of women. It's just, it's, it's awful. Well, that's what really disturbed me when I saw it on Channel 9 a couple of years ago. And I was like, I have to change my whole opinion about this movie because not just because of the, the, the slavery Racism. aspect, but the women abuse, Brett flat out rape Scarlet. Yeah. And there's, there's hitting and there's all that. I don't know how you feel, Tina. But I was pretty appalled, so I can give it a rest. But I do feel that we shouldn't censor art, but we have to create, we have to talk about it in the context of when it came out. So um, I think that the movie has beautiful cinematography. <laughs> it does. When, when Atlanta's And burning. I haven't watched it since I was a teenager, and I will not watch it. I find the movie very um, upsetting and inaccurate from multiple viewpoints. Um, I also just didn't like the tone it espoused, the idea of uh, 
the resilient South rising again, no matter what, is pretty disturbing, particularly in current times. Um, and yeah, the cinematography is really nice. <laughs> well, I you can appreciate Birth of a Nation for some of the same things. Oh my God. Um, when yeah, I, was I have even more trouble with that one. <laughs> well, of course. Oh, yeah. I Birth have a lot of trouble with that one. Horrible. Birth well, when I was in awful. college, they made us watch it in film class. And we all just sat there like, what the hell is this? Because this was 1972. <laughs> and we were yep. like, what is this? And so we had to learn about, you know, this was a big deal back when it was, but everything. But I will say Gone with the Wind, I saw on my 13th birthday with my mother. We went downtown St. Louis. We ate a famous bar. We went to the Ambassador Theater. I had read the book that summer. I was 13. I didn't know any better. I loved the movie. And then gradually as an adult, it brought up issues with me that I was very uncomfortable with. And I agree, I'm not watching it again, but for people that haven't seen it, that, that want to see it, it does have to have some sort of disclaimer on it, I think. Well, no, you just have to realize the context. Disney's never released Song of the South in on a, on anything current. It's, it's oh, no. never been on DVD, and people want to change uh, Splash Mountain at Disney World and Disneyland, and they've always said, well, we can release it in with Leonard Malton talking about this, just like he did for some of the cartoons that they released with Disney, but I don't think, I don't think Disney will ever release Song of the South now. No, but even though it won the best song, Zippity-Doo-Dah. Okay. No, I mean, but I, I do think that Hollywood has to move forward, and the Oscars now are going to have 10 Best Picture nominations, and they have appointed Ava DuVernay and Whoopi Goldberg and somebody else to the Board of Governors, and uh, they're going to work on things. I do think um, we just... See, these are things that we didn't think about before that now we're thinking about. Good. And I think it's good that we're thinking about them, but I will admit a lot of times I just didn't think about it. Lady Antebellum is now Lady A. Yeah, but they were always called Lady A. They hated the name Lance, Lady Antebellum. They were, all of their fans called them Lady A for years. That They just made it official now. Um, and Hollywood's yeah, opening you up know what? next week. So Sorry to interject, no, or, no, or excuse me, but I'm going to interject. Go ahead, Tina. You can't. That's kind of like whitewashing their name, and right. I have a problem with that. I think they actually need to 100% change their name if they really want to make a statement. Whitewashing it by making it Lady A, that's not enough. And I think that that is what we're going to have to especially if we consider ourselves allies or marginal members of the community, we need to speak up and say that is not enough. It is incumbent on us. It is not incumbent on black, indigenous, or people of color to have to point out to us. We need to start speaking up. We need to start saying, hey, you're whitewashing this too much. 
we know that whitewashing is a problem, an issue. Let me say an issue, a challenge, something for us to get much better at. You're right. Let's and not whitewash. And, and so that's just my opinion on the Lady A controversy, but I think it extends a lot further than just that band's name. True. And what I was going to say was, in, in, besides the racial aspects going on, the coronavirus going on as well, Hollywood is opening up next week. And so I, I, actually, it might be this weekend. So they're going to start filming, and casting directors have been told not to have extras anymore, which is going to put a lot of people out of work. If you, if you saw Ricky Gervais's uh, extras, some people make their living as being an extra in crowd scenes. And so now they're, they're, they're being told not to have huge crowd scenes, not to have people hugging, not to have people shaking hands. Um, the other major issue of 2020 is going to cause more ripples in the acting community because you can't have people on sets like you used to be able to do. Right. It's changing. Yeah. This is a whole change that we, this, we don't even know what the new normal is because it's changing all the time. And the most important thing to me is that we just need to stay alive. That's the, that's the whole goal of 2020 is staying alive. Go ahead, Tina. Um, that is, you're right. That's a huge shift. And it is going to be really interesting to see how it, both shifts are navigated. Because there are some stories that require that intimacy. There are stories that require a crowd or at least the suggestion of a crowd. So how we change storytelling and a response to 2020 is, I mean, we're at a huge, a huge challenging spot point, and pretty soon the locusts are going to swarm on us when all of the cicadas come out of their nest. <laughs> right. Well, and that, that's another thing. There's, their, their showrunners are being asked to cut extras and reconsider sex and fight scenes now. So, a lot of, a lot of storytellers are going to be hampered by what is going to be allowed by. Uh, movie and television studios. That's going to go back to uh, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore having twin beds. I don't know. You know, I'll tell you, it's funny because we, in theater, we always talk about, oh, the globe and, you know, that's the the onus of Western modern theatrics and stuff. And those actors really didn't interact very much. They stood there and they gave their monologues and they spoke at each other from a distance. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's going to be a tough navigation. Well, they, uh, an anonymous, oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. An anonymous studio executive told the Hollywood reporter that suggesting an elaborate crowd scene with dozens of extras should be avoided. Since you're not going to be able to shoot it, don't write it. So that's going to, ha it's, it's going to create an entirely new process of trying to create content. Right. Well, uh, we're going to see more one and two person shows. We're going to see more monologues. We're going to see more. It's, it's, well, who knows what's going to happen, but I will say I applaud the St. Louis theater community for thinking outside the box. ERA, 
did uh, check off the Moscow thing, which turned out great. Nancy Bell created a Zoom musical, not a musical, Zoom play. And then uh, Looking Glass Theater in Illinois, they're going to have their children's show. It's a Zoom musical that MTI made available just for Zoom nice. performances. And so that's how they're going to get the kids show up this year using kids and they're charging $5 part. Metro Theater has two shows streaming for kids. Um, one of them I haven't watched yet. It's, I think, called The Cactus Cowgirl. No, and, I think it's something uh, about swallowing a cactus. Girl who swallowed a yeah. cactus. There you go. That's it. I don't know where I got cowgirl from. <laughs> I don't remember. But yes, I'm looking forward to that. And I can't wait to see In This Corner Cassius Clay again. Um, these well, are I missed great. it the first time. These, these are both really good from what I've read about the one and I've seen the other one. These are good family shows, family theater that will encourage conversation and discussion. But if they're also entertaining. As an adult, you will be entertained by these shows. Metro Theater is just another company that's really figuring out how to do outreach. Um, on their Instagram and TikTok channels, they're doing like uh, daily postings from their staff that have a lot of fun, creative activities that parents can do with their children that are art-related, as well as these broadcasts of some great family-oriented programming. They're also doing a COVID memory project. They encourage everybody to film their story, and they're putting it all together. Um, this weekend, Sunday, is the Arts for Life. I'm on the board of directors. It's the community theater branch of uh, awards and we're having our first virtual ceremony in 21 years Sunday 2 o'clock on our YouTube channel we pre-recorded it and uh, on YouTube channel now for Arts for Life we're showing the clips of all the nominated ensembles and the youth productions and every theater troupe did a Zoom nice. performance so you have Stephanie Merritt singing a song from Bridges of Madison County. You have the kids at Gateway Center for the Performing Arts singing the song of Purple Summer from, from Spring Awakening, all from their homes. So this is what it's going to be. You can watch them now. And then uh, Sunday, we're presenting the award. So this is going to be interesting. It's, like I said, 2 o'clock. We've never done this before, but we're going to do it again in July for the plays and uh, for the comedy and drama, theater mask board. So we'll see. But so, what are we going to do? That's all we can do this year. Well, as we as we wrap it up here, Lynn, there was Cinema St. Louis announced their 77 films for the St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase, and you have a little announcement to make. Yes, my son Tim's last screenplay, Daddy Dog, was one of the 72 films selected, and Carl is the voice of it. I am. And Congratulations. I, uh, yeah, it's fun. Um, Merle the dog. Uh, we got a picture of Merle, and he, he made the announcement <laughs> yesterday. But we're very excited. It's going to be an online festival. And uh, you'll when they get the schedule out, you'll be able to see it. The movie, like Chris said at the time, he, we, he was on two weeks ago. It's through Eventive. You'll be able to watch the movie. You'll have 24, 48 hours to watch it. 
and uh, we're very excited about it because a lot of people put a labor of love. My son Charlie, his friends Zach Wigman, John Rubin, and Ryan Culbertson, those four collaborated to direct it. And Zach edited it in LA. And a lot of people put their heart and soul into it. Tina knows the actors involved, and Tina's seen it. We, we could get her opinion. <laughs> but uh, Spencer Sickman. I really, you know, I really enjoyed the show. Uh, Merle is adorable. Spencer Sickman just just knows how to get your heartstrings. He knows how to inhabit a character in such a way that shows that character's flaws and you still love that character. It was brilliant casting in that sense. Johanne Rahan, Shane Signorino, and a whole bunch of other really talented actors made it believable in front of the camera. Um, the uh, cinematography and art direction was excellent. Kudos, sir. And Lynn, as producer and as chief wrangler, I am just so impressed at how quickly you guys were able to pull this together and tell a, just a short, beautiful, just humanly infused kind of a love story, really, in its own special way. Yes. Everybody watch it. Paul Cook was really cute as the dog. And Carl was the uh, therapist. <laughs> and Lori Mack and uh, yes. Dan Buffa and uh, Tom Stockman and Damascus. Uh, yeah, we were so good. I was so happy because to me, when I, when I read it and was going to cast it, I was like, Spencer would be perfect for Jimmy. So I'm so happy that he agreed to it. And uh, it just all worked out, but, but there's a lot of Ben houses in the credits. And so I have to applaud Tim's family on both sides, dad and mom, for giving their whole heart to it. So it was fun. We shot it over three days, mostly night shoots. I've never been so tired in my <laughs> But thank God. And uh, I told the DePaul guys, because Tim wrote it for a class at DePaul, of that it got picked and they were very happy. Yes, very nice. Now, Tina, where can we find you on social media? So you can follow me on all the socials. I'm Tina Farmer uh, on STL, sometimes underscore, sometimes a dash, because you know that's how these things go. Right. Um, you can find me on KDHX. Org. I will be actually, I'm in the process right now of cranking out a bunch of new articles, some of them on some of the last live theater I saw. Some of it is about uh, Moscow, Shivana Laughlin, and other contemporary projects I'm watching on Zoom. And I also want to say Real kudos to members of the St. Louis theater community who have been reaching out to me both privately and in small groups, trying to figure out how to tackle our two current pandemics, one of racism and one of community and public health. I am so impressed with the way the uh, people who are responsible for running these theaters are talking to each other 
about these issues and trying to create proactive moving forward solutions. And I'm also really thrilled to say that, for example, well, that people are tuning in, tuning in to right. live theater. Uh, 120 people on a Zoom live theater, that's awesome. You have many other things you can do. Over 5,000 views of the Theater Circle Awards Ceremony, which we did uh, via, um, you know, ATC's webpage. Uh, that's fantastic. So I'm so glad that people are still interested in the arts. And I'm so glad that the people who are who are making the art are so interested in connecting with our full community and not just being whitewashed representation. Excellent. Well, my name is Carl Middleman. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Carl the intern. And you can find me a lot this week on the Entercom family of radio stations. I'm going to be on 97.1 several days and KMOX several days in the next week. So you'll hear me there. Lynn, where can we find you, young lady? I am on KCRS every Thursday night in the 1030 half hour with Ray Hartman and Greg Harvey. And I am on uh, Webster Kirkwood Times online right now doing the movie reviews. And I am on my own website, poplifestl.com. And then we're here every week. And I'm on all the socials. And now I'm on Instagram too. Well, Tina, thank you for being with us. And uh, thank you for your uh, insight into the St. Louis theater world. Because Lynn has one insight and yours is not different, but different. <laughs> but no, it's good. You know, it's good. Many voices, you know, will tell us the truth, the full story. That's true. She's more connected right now with all that's going on. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.